of you have had the responsibility at some point in your life um, to give a newborn child their name? Anyone had that? So that's like an, uh, isn't that, in a, it's an amazing, here's what I found interesting in every service, I don't know why, way more women's hands went up than men's, but I'm not sure what that's about. But uh, that is a truly awesome responsibility because, you know, I mean, you want to get it right because this kid's going to have to live with the name for the rest of their life and hopefully they won't hate you for it and all that stuff. And then there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of like unspoken rules because, you know, especially guys, we're really in tune to that. It can't be a name that you can easily make fun of or that rhymes with something that would be embarrassing. Um, It can't be the name of a former boyfriend or girlfriend or, and then the big thing is it can't be anyone you knew from the past who was a jerk, right? So that rules out a lot of names right now. And then there's all that. And then there's just so it's complicated, and you want to get it right. And um, when my wife was pregnant with our with our first child, um, early in the pregnancy, I had a dream, and I dreamt that uh, we had uh, that we had a daughter, and that we named her Hope. I mean, I just I'd had the dream; it was vivid. And our firstborn was a girl, and we named her Hope. And so the next morning, we woke up, and I told my wife, "I'm like, whoo." problem solved. It's all, we're having a girl, and her name's going to be Hope. And it was kind of a disappointment because we didn't want to know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. Um, and then, of course, I had the dream, and so it was all settled, and there you go. And my wife kind of looked at me, and, I, and we tell the story kind of differently, as I'm sure you can imagine. But, um, but I just remember going, well, that's it. And it's all settled and done and good. And then when our first child was born, it was a boy. And of course, my wife, of course, said, I knew it, right? And uh, what were you thinking? And I hadn't been thinking of boys' names a lot because I had a dream and it was going to be a girl. And there you go. So anyways, that's a whole other topic. But anyway, so then we had to, you know, name our child. And so we got a name for him, got him all set. And then, and then uh, she was pregnant with our second child. And this time we thought, well, you know, maybe we'll find out if we're going to have a boy or a girl. And the doctor said, oh, well, you're going to have a girl. And we thought, oh, sweet. So we got a name. It's all good. It's all picked out. And then, um, you know, and then the birth came. And I remembered, and I, I remember this part because this is me. I'm, I'm in the delivery delivery position, and the baby's coming out, and it comes out, and I thought it was a girl, and saw it was a boy, and I started laughing. I'm laughing out loud, and of course, my wife, she can't see, and she's like, what's so funny? And I'm like, we don't have a name, honey, and of course, and then she, guess what she said? She said, oh, well, I knew that. I knew it. I knew it all along, because she knew. Uh, she knew the doctor was wrong, and then we, she were pregnant with our third child, and I was hope, you know, hoping, oh man, we've got this name, it's a great name, it's Hope, and she kind of had this feeling it was going to be a girl, and, um, and I had a feeling it was going to be a girl, but then I'd always thought it was going to be a girl, and so then when she was born, so we'd always, whenever we referred to our, our, our child before she was born, we always referred to her as Hope, that was just always the name, we had the name, we had the nicknames, we had all sorts of stuff already picked out, and then when she was born, I remember holding her and going, so, you know, my dream is true, and we had a daughter, and it took a little longer, and a couple of the kids, and now she's here, and her name is Hope, and so we would call her Hope. So in the hospital, you know, we would call her Hope, and oh, look, there's Hope, and we had little, you know, names and all that stuff, and people would be like, so is it Hope? Is it Hope? And I'd be like, yeah, that, I mean, that's always been the plan. It's going to be Hope. And so the, the time came. It was getting down to crunch time, and we're going to have to check out pretty soon, and so, you know, we kind of had to make it official. And I began to have this nine feeling down deep somewhere inside. I don't know what it was, and I was starting to think, 
I think we have a problem because I don't know how this works, but she doesn't look like her name should be Hope. I, and I hadn't thought, I hadn't even considered any other names, but I thought, she doesn't look like a Hope, and I'm not sure I know what a Hope looks like, but I don't think it looks like that, and so I'm not really sure what we're going to do. So then I finally had to figure out, like, how do I tell my wife? Because we, you know, this had been agreed upon years ago, and so finally I said, man, honey, I, I don't know. I don't think she looks, she doesn't, I don't think her name should be Hope. And my wife was like, yeah, I knew that. Like, she always knows. She's like, well, what are we going to name her? Well, we didn't really have a name, so we broke out the baby book, right? The baby name book. And we got to the A's and the A-B's, and we got to Abigail. And I'm like, Abigail, Abigail. I hadn't thought about it. Okay, I've never known a jerk named Abigail, so it passes that test. Never had a, never had a girlfriend named Abigail, so it passes that test. And, uh, and then I looked at a little thing, and the, the name Abigail means her father rejoices. And I was like, man, that's it. Because I was so excited to have a daughter. I was so excited that God brought her into our life. And, uh, and so I was like, yeah, that's great. And you know, she's going to have a birthday this month. She's going to be 13 years old. And to this day, every time, every time I think of her name, I think of that story. I always think of the gift that God gave me in my daughter, in Abigail. And uh, you know, the best names are like that. The best names, they remind us about things. They, they remind us about what a gift people are. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we have this passage that we've been studying. And, and the prophet Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke about 700 years. Think about this. We look back on the birth of Christ. You know, it's Christmas time. We look back 2,000 years. But get in the mindset for a minute. When this passage was given, Jesus wasn't here yet. In fact, he wasn't coming for 700 years. So we're looking at a passage that was given 700 years before an event that we look back on now, 2,000 years. And, and this was spoken of the Messiah that was to come. And he was described this way, given, given some names, given some titles. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. So here's, here's four names. When you think of Jesus, when you think of this gift, here are four things, four names to think about. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We, we've talked about those, the, the wonderful counsel of God. God is all-knowing. We talked about Mighty God. God is all-powerful. We talked about Everlasting Father. He is eternal and the source of eternality. And today we come to the last of those names, the Prince of Peace. And I want to I talk about that this morning. Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And I think that's probably a pretty significant thing for us to talk about today. Anyone got stress right now in their life, right? Because I'm finding there's a lot. Is it just me or is there a lot of stress? Is there a lot of anxiety in the world? Is it just me? Am I the only one picking up on it? Because I'm finding... There's a lot of stuff going on. First of all, foremost, I just say there's, I, I know a lot of people right now that are, that are facing some tremendous physical issues right now. What is the deal with cancer right now? And what is the deal with some of the, what, it seems like every week we're hearing about another person in our church, another person that we know who's been diagnosed with something. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody that you love, somebody that you care about. And, and it's stressful. You're anxious about that right now. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the empty chair thing. You know, there was somebody in your life last year at Christmas, and they're not in your life this year for whatever reason. They're not there, and you're missing them. Or you're anxious about it. You're stressed out about it. Maybe it's your to-do list. 
Anyone got a to-do list beside me that's like way too long? And a lot of times it's just, we put all this stuff on our plate, don't we? Way too much stuff. And we put all this pressure. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're just feeling all of this pressure. You're not feeling the peace of Christmas right now. You're feeling the pressure of Christmas and the pressure that you've put on yourself and you've let other people put on you. Maybe for some of you, it's financial. You're dealing with some tremendous financial stress and anxiety right now. Welcome to the club. A lot of people are dealing with that. It's a time of year, maybe it's grades, school, maybe it's your job. But look at what it says here. Jesus is the prince of peace. What does that mean, the prince of peace? It comes from a couple of, of Hebrew words. The word for prince is the Hebrew word sar. And it refers to someone who's in charge of something or a, a chief over something, a general, a ruler. The Romans used the Latin form of this word, the word czar, C-Z-A-R. We still use that word to this day to someone who's a, a over an area. We have the drug czar in our nation and, and some other what, people who are generals of certain things, people who have authority over certain things. The, the Gothic form of the word is, is Kaiser or Kaiser. Uh, somebody said, isn't that a role? Um, actually, that go back a little bit in history. Um, it's a, it's a reference to someone who has authority, uh, who is a ruler over something, and it says that he is the, the czar of peace. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of peace, but I, I was looking in the dictionary this week, and I noticed what a stark contrast there is between the Hebrew concept of peace and, and what we think of today as peace. Like, this is kind of what I saw in the dictionary this week. Peace is the freedom from war, the absence of violence or conflict among people or groups of people. In other words, when I look at the, the human definition of peace, it's pretty much the absence of something, right? There's a, a moment where no one's fighting. There's a moment where there's no conflict in the family, you know? And, and we, just, we think of that, that's peace. It's just when something's not there. But the word that's used here in the Hebrew is the word uh, shalom. And shalom is not just about the absence of something. It's about the presence of something. Shalom is, is, is a reference towards something that is complete, something that is whole. Um, sometimes it's used to describe um, the security or well-being of something. It's when something is whole or complete, it can be at rest. Sometimes it's a reference to tranquility. So Jesus, it says here, is the Sar Shalom. He is, as some have said, he's the ruler of well-being. He's the, he's the Lord of tranquility. 700 years after this passage is, is, is uttered, is given to humanity. 700 years later, a, a baby boy is born in Bethlehem who is the fulfillment. He is the embodiment of this verse. And in that evening, there were some shepherds nearby, and they were out tending their flocks. They were doing their job, drinking their Starbucks and watching the sheep and talking about life and all that stuff. And suddenly, it says that an angel appears to them. Out of nowhere, this angel appears. They don't know what's happened. They don't realize that the fulfillment of this passage has happened on that evening. And it says, an angel appears and says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This is the one that Isaiah talked about. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, and listen to what they said, of all the things that they could say, of all the things that they could announce, this is what they announced, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And this is the announcement of the angel. He says, I got some good news for you. You people are stressed. You people are anxious. Guess what? God is introducing peace into your world. Now, when I think about the birth of Jesus, I don't think of something that was that peaceful. You know, my, my wife has given birth three times. I would describe those situations as there was joy, there was a lot going on, but peaceful is not one of the words that I would use to describe, typically, uh, birth. There's, there's a lot of stress and other things that are going on there. But with Jesus... It's even more so, if you're familiar with the story, I mean, you know how it goes. You've got this, this teenage girl. We don't know how old she was, but she was, she was a teenager. She's fairly young. Some think she was as young as 13, maybe 15. And she, she, as far as we know, she's not perfect. No one in this world is perfect, but she's living a pretty godly life and a life that's pretty pleasing to God. She's devoted to God. She's, she's a follower of God, a worshiper of God. And, and she's probably got dreams and aspirations for her life. But one day, God sends a messenger to him. And he says, hey, I got some good news for you, man. God is well pleased with you. And this is your reward. You're going to become pregnant while you're still a virgin. Woohoo! okay? You'll have fun explaining that to the people around you. They're all going to believe you, okay? You're going to become pregnant. In fact, the idea was immediately it's, it's, it's upon you. And this child inside of you, this is the promise of God. This is the answer, the solution, the Savior to all of your problems, all of them in life. This is it. Can you imagine what you are in for? And so she, she receives this message. And then she has to figure out how to explain this to her fiancé, who, oh, the only thing he knows is he's not the father. And so she has to deal with that, and she has to tell her family and as she begins to show, she becomes the talk of the town that she's living in. Have you ever been in a situation where you were completely innocent, you were righteous, but people talked about you and said things about you that weren't true? And what could she do about it? Nothing. And then when she's nine months pregnant, she has to travel to another town more than a week away. She has to travel there nine months pregnant by donkey. Okay, I don't, I, I remember taking my wife when she was nine months pregnant places in a minivan and that was uncomfortable. Okay, but she's on a donkey, all right? And she's traveling along, they're camping out at night. And then when they get there, it turns out that Joseph didn't have any reservations at any hotels and they're all full up. And so he scrounges around and he finds, we don't know, it was a stable or, or a manger, a, a, a barn, whatever it was, something that was out where animals lived. And that's where she gives birth. Her mother isn't there with her. Her family isn't there with her. She's there. She's alone. She's with Joseph and the animals. And this child is born. No epidural there. Just her and the baby and the pain. And the baby comes out. And there he is. This wonderful, wondrous event. And then what happens shortly after that? The, The king of the area, King Herod, finds out what's happened. He hears about the prophecy that we've talked about. He hears that the king of the Jews has been born. He's worried about his position politically. 
So he orders an infanticide of the area that all baby boys who are two years and younger should be put to death. And this is the context. Not very peaceful. The Prince of Peace arrives, but on the earth there doesn't seem to be much peace. I look around at the world today and I ask the same question, where's the peace today? I turn on the news and I hear about what's going on in the world and I wonder, where's the, where's the Sar Shalom in our world today? I hear about abuse. I, I, I look at the politics in our nation. I don't see a lot of peace. I look at, I look at families. I look at marriages today. I mean, God's design in marriage, a place where people would, would be able to experience um, a security and a peace beyond anything else in this world. That was God's design, and yet I see the half of marriages in this nation end in anxiety and stress and tears. I look at the rage demonstrated on the road today in workplaces, in our schools, and yes, the, the times are tough, but we are still a very, very blessed people. We are so blessed, and yet we are so stressed. And I wonder, what's up with that? And how does the Sar Shalom fit into that? Well, again, part of the problem is when we look at the world around us and we try to measure peace, we're usually thinking of peace as the world thinks of peace. We're just looking for the absence of conflict. But Jesus came to do something much more fundamental, much more core than that. Something that will one day, in fact, get rid of all of the, of the stress and the anxiety and the conflict in our world. But it's something that starts at a core. And I want to talk about that this morning as we think about the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. What does that mean? Well, the first thing that the Sar Shalom came to do was to bring peace with God. I mean, if you don't get anything else out of this, anything else out of the scripture, anything else out of church, you need to get this, that God brought Jesus here so that we could have peace with God. And that's an important concept for us to get a hold of because when we talk about peace today with most people in our world, they kind of have a cafeteria approach to peace with God. When you say, how, do you, how does a person get peace with God? You'll, you'll hear these kind of things like, well, I've got a little you know, religious plate here and I put a little Jesus on there and uh, you know, a little religion and this thing and a little Buddhism and a little that thing and a little spirituality, whatever that means to me. And, and I'll try to be moral. I'll be a good person and I'm going to try to do more good things and bad things on my plate. And I think that if I do that in general and I do the right things and the rituals and whatever I think that is, then I think the big guy in the sky is going to be good with me because, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't murder anyone and I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And so I think, you know, I think God and I, we're okay. We're going to be okay with each other. And it's amazing how many people I talk to who think, you know, well, that's pretty much it. If I just try, if I'm just sincere, then I think we're going to be okay. But when I read the Bible... There's a little conflict there because that's not the way I see things laying out in the Bible. When I read the Bible, I read stuff that says that you either trust, you either trust Jesus or you don't. You either love him or you don't. And yet in our society, what a lot of people do is like, you know, Jesus is just okay with me and I'm sure I'm just okay with him. In Romans, it tells us this. It says, for the sinful nature, that is the nature that has not been connected to God. For the sinful nature is always what? What does it say? 
hostile towards God. It's always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Now we read that and we think, wow, that's a little harsh. I mean, I wouldn't know, you know, I wouldn't say hostile. Can it just be like indifferent? And yet scripture is very clear. You put it, put it in some context. God is the one who thought us up. God is the one who designed us. God is the one who made us. God is the one who gave us life. He gave us days on this earth and he gave us purposes. And for those purposes, he gave us a time and health and loved ones and blessings to do his will on this earth. But humanity, both individually and collectively, has basically taken all the stuff that God, the creator, gave us, and we said, you know what, God? I don't want to do what you want me to do with my stuff. I want to do what I want to do. So we went in another direction. We took God's time, God's gifts to us, God's health, and all of that, and we went in a different direction, and the result is that we are at war with God. We are at war over control, because God wants to be in control of our life, but we want to be in control of our life. That's called hostility, and there's hostility between the person who does not trust Christ and between God himself, but the good news is that God didn't leave us in that situation. He didn't see us walking away from him and say, oh, well, fine, then you just take your toys and go off and play in your corner and, you know, you're going to get yours when it's all over. Says God didn't do that with us. And that's what we think about when we think about Christmas. Christmas is all about God's solution, God's diving into our, our problem, our issues. Christmas is about the fact that God didn't just sit up in heaven and look down on us and say, wow, it seems like we have some issues here. It says that he dove into the situation, that he came down here in the flesh, that he lived among us, that he revealed the the truth to us, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross, and on that cross, it says that he took our place and he shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And when we believe in him, we receive a forgiveness that gives us peace with God. In fact, that's what it talks about in Romans chapter five. It says this, now, therefore, since we have been, a couple words here we'll, we'll talk about, but since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. A couple of words, if you're taking notes to to note here. The first is the word faith, and you might circle that. Key word. When we talk about faith, what does it mean to have faith in Christ? I think a a good word for us to use today is to, to trust, that we would trust that Jesus is God's only provision for salvation. It's not Jesus plus some other stuff. It's not Jesus and our own efforts. It's not Jesus and religion or if I'm good enough or if I can, you know, Jesus kind of gets me started and then I try really hard and I get the rest of the way. It doesn't work that way. It's all Jesus. We have faith in Christ and that's what connects us with God. Now an interesting thing happens when we place our faith in Christ. Several things happen, but the one that's described here is that when we place our faith in Christ, we are declared justified. And, And that word justified means to declare something as righteous or to acquit something of guilt. It it has the idea for us that we were guilty of something, we were guilty of sin, but because of what Christ did for us, he has now declared us as not guilty because of what Christ did for us 
on the cross. So when we place our faith in Christ, we are declared justified. And then there is a real world kind of uh, result of that. And it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean to have peace with God? Well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that God forgives me. God forgives you. I mean, he really, truly forgives you. That means that your sin is no longer between you and God. That static that was between you has been removed. That guilt that was between you and God has now been removed by Jesus Christ. You don't have to stay up at night wondering anymore if God's mad at you, if God's upset at you because of what Christ did. You now have peace with God. You may say, well, sometimes I don't feel like, sometimes I feel guilty, sometimes I feel sorry. That's fine, but you understand that there is, there's nothing between you and God now because of what Christ has done. It means that, that God accepts you now. Now, that's, that's difficult for us because we have an extremely hard time accepting the faults of other people and we find it really difficult to understand how God could accept us with all our faults. But you understand that if he couldn't accept us with all of our faults, there would be no possible way for us to have peace with God. I mean, it just goes without saying we're not perfect and God knows that. And I'm thankful that he knows that. It doesn't mean that he doesn't work on us and he isn't helping us grow. But he accepts us. So again, sometimes we're sitting here going, oh, I don't know, I mean, I know Jesus died for me and I know all that, but our tendency is to try to, but I think I need to try harder. I think I need to do some stuff. I, and that's great. If you want to follow Christ with all of your life, that's, you should do that. Jesus was clear about that. But that's not the way that you become right with God. That's what you do as a result of becoming right with God. God now lives in you and, and you're good. God is good with you. You're good with God. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of the Sar Shalom. On the other hand, there are times when we lack peace. And I think that at times there are, there are good reasons for that. In fact, on a, just on a basic level, one of the great ways that God uses anxiety and stress is to draw people to himself. It can be a tool of God. I, before I became a Christian, before I knew Christ, I would say that I was a very restless person. And I can remember that period of my life like it was yesterday, although it was not yesterday, but I feel like it was many times because I can remember the restlessness in my soul and maybe some of you can identify with that. But I remember spending time thinking, what's, I wonder what the purpose of life is. Now, I grew up kind of in this vacuum. I grew up in Southern California, which was at the time kind of the mecca of evangelicalism. And yet, I had never been to church and I had never read the Bible and I had never actually heard the gospel, just the simple truth of the gospel. So I would, I, sometimes I would just be wondering, what is life about? How did I get here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What happens when I die? Is it, is it over? Is there more? And I didn't know. I didn't have any information. So I would think about that. I was very restless, worried a lot about life. But I did the typical thing. I did what a lot of people do when they feel restless apart from Christ. I just tried to cover it up. I tried to stay really busy because that's what people did back then. You just did a lot of stuff and you kept busy all the time. And if you stayed busy enough, you'd never have time to think about the fact that you don't know why you're here and you don't know where you're going. And you don't know if there's a God and you don't know how you could get right with him. It hasn't changed in all the years. It's still the same today. I think one of the biggest tools that the enemy uses today to keep people from Christ is distraction. 
I'll just keep them busy. I'll just keep them running all the time, and they'll never have time to think about how they got here and where they're headed. I hate to say it, but it's, it's still a trick that the enemy uses in the church, too. It's one of the reasons sometimes that our understanding of Christ and our appreciation for the Son of God and the, and the Sar Shalom is so shallow because we are so busy. We never take time to just slow down and stop and listen to the Holy Spirit of God. But, but here's the thing. There's a lot of things that can keep people distracted from that restlessness, activities, uh, the pursuit of possessions, achievement, other people. But, but here's the thing. God still has a way to find us, you know? And I can remember even being as busy as I was, those times when I would wake up in the middle of the night and the world around me was quiet and still, but the Holy Spirit of God was so loud, was so convicting. And thinking again, how did I get here? And why am I here? And what's gonna happen when when this is all over? When I was growing up, we had a, a, a vacation home. I grew up in the L.A., Orange County area, and we had a cabin up at, at Big Bear Lake. And so we would go up there a lot on the weekends. And uh, I remember going up there, and our, our place was right up against the National Forest. And I would just take entire days and go hiking back in the forest. And I, there was just something about living in L.A. and all the craziness, but then going up on the weekends to the cabin and going hiking back and not being around anyone or anything, just being out in nature, Something about nature that speaks of the creator, of the designer. And I would always be faced with that every time. And I can remember taking these day-long hikes and just wrestling with this issue. Is there a God? Who is he? How do I get to know him? I can remember being up there at night with all the stars. There's something about looking at the stars in the sky at night that has a way of making you feel so small, so insignificant. Feeling so lost, not having peace. It was hard not to have peace, but I'm so glad that I didn't because that was the thing that drove me toward God. When I was 15 years old, there was a, a, a Christian, I say a Christian because I don't, I don't know who he was, I've never met him, but he worked with my dad, and my dad was in his oikos, and this guy was trying to, you know, reach my dad for Christ, and one day he gave my dad a book, and it was basically just a, it was about the gospel, it was about Christ it was about the second coming of Christ. He gave that book to my dad and said, hey, you should read this. My dad brought it home, didn't want to read it, wasn't interested. He said, hey, you want to read this? Some Christian religious nut gave it to me. You can read it if you want. And uh, the thing was I, was, I was asking questions. So I said, sure, I'll read it. And so I got the book and I sat down that evening and I began to read that book. And I read, and I read, and I'm reading, and he's presenting the gospel, and he's talking about the second coming of Christ. So about halfway through the book, he says, you know, if you want to have a connection with God, the Father, you can do it right now. And right there, I got on my knees. I looked back and laughed because I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been to church. I didn't know anything about the gospel except what this guy had said. I got on my knees, and I gave my life to Christ. And I, I prayed, and I went to bed. No one had ever told me what would happen when I became a Christian. I had no expectations whatsoever. But I can still remember waking up the next morning and feeling very, very strange. Waking up and thinking, something's different. Something's happened. And I remember the night before I had prayed, but I, you know, I just kind of figured, I don't know, I'm praying to God and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. 
And the next morning, I, I, something was different and I realized for the first time in my life, I had peace. It was a weird feeling. Remember shortly after that, going up to the cabin, going for a hike that day, it was snowing. You know how it is when you're, when you're out in the forest and it's snowing heavily, how quiet it is? You know, it's just silent. And I remember being out there and, and, and sitting down and watching the snow fall. And my, my soul was so at peace. There was so much rest. It was amazing. That's what Jesus came to do. Was to give us peace with God. In Ephesians 2.13, it tells us this, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, he's, he's talking to Gentiles, which is probably most of us in this room, you who were once far away from God have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And then he says this, for he himself is our peace. Jesus came to give us peace with God. Once we have peace with God, it begins, it begins to spread. It begins to multiply. It's where real peace, true peace begins. But it moves out from there. Once I have peace with God, I, I can begin to experience other things like a peace of mind. I can experience a peace of heart. I can begin to experience that peace as it radiates out. It begins to radiate out into my relationships. It begins to radiate out into difficult circumstances in life. Because you know that that happens, doesn't it? And problems happen and, and stuff happens. But God's peace begins to, to radiate out into the world around us. This is what Jesus said in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's his peace. It comes from him. He says, now I don't give you uh, peace to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, I'm giving you a peace that's different than you're used to. I give you peace. The world gives you peace. At least that's, that's what they call it. When the world gives peace, what do they mean? What does that mean to have peace? Again, it's like we've talked about when you look in the dictionary. What it means is when there's a moment when people stop fighting and it's quiet, that's what the world calls peace. When you get together with your family and no one yells at each other that night at dinner, that's the world's definition of peace. It's temporary. It's short-lived. A lot of times what the world means when it gives peace is what it, what it really gives is just a temporary distraction. Here's a toy. Here's a thing. Here's a movie. Here's a substance. Here's a relationship. It's like a temporary thing to keep you distracted from the fact that in your soul there is no peace. But it's not a real peace, is it? It's just camouflage. It's just smoke and mirrors. And it's only temporary. Jesus says, the peace that I give is different than that. It's, it's, it's not a peace from temporary external problems and issues. That's not what he's giving here. Instead, it's something that's internal. It's something that's powerful. It's something that's secure. In John 16, Jesus says this. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, now I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now in this world, he says, notice this, read it with me. In this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. Amen, anyone? Trouble, anyone? (laughs) Yeah, he said, in fact, this is, to me, this is so interesting because I'm, I'm reading so, I'm seeing so many books today in the Christian bookstore. 
I'm, I'm seeing so many, you know, Christian blogs online now and hearing so much stuff come out of Christians that I don't know where they're getting this from. They're saying things like, yeah, when you have Jesus, he'll take care of all your problems and everything will be perfect and everything will be easy and he'll answer every prayer the way you ask it and you'll be rich and you'll be good looking and your hair will grow back and everything will be amazing. It'll just be awesome. But when I read the words of Jesus, I don't see him saying things like that. In fact, what I I see Jesus saying is, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, I got news for you. It's going to be tough at times. It's going to be hard at times. There's going to be persecution at times if you follow me. In the world, there's going to be trouble. Is there going to be relational trouble if you follow me? Can anyone say amen to that? Is there going to be relational trouble? Yes. Yes, in case you haven't figured that out yet. There's going to be relational trouble. Will there be physical trouble? Is your body going to have troubles? The answer would be yes. Jesus doesn't promise us that we won't have trouble. In fact, he tells us we will. Will there be persecution? Will there be people mad at you? Might you have vocational issues? Yes, 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 yes. You might have all of that stuff. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, here's the difference. He says, I have overcome, and you might circle that word in your notes, I have overcome all of that external stuff that you're gonna come up against. Christ's peace is grounded in his power. We talked last week about mighty God. Jesus is all-powerful. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus is the God who came to this earth and went toe-to-toe with evil, with the devil. He looked at it, he stared it down, he faced temptation, and he overcame it. I know there are times when we feel like, I don't think I can ever overcome that temptation. I don't think I can ever have victory there. Jesus says, listen, I got some good news for you. I faced it, I went toe-to-toe, and I did it. I overcame. Jesus says, you know what? I had to come up against some pretty mean, angry, hateful people. I overcame that. Jesus said, I had to deal with some physical stuff, and I overcame that. Jesus says, you know what? I even had to face death, a criminal's death on the cross. And the very people that I created and loved, they put me on that cross and they, they watched me die and they mocked me while it happened and then they put me in a grave and they thought it was over. But I overcame that. Jesus brings all of that to bear in our lives. He says, you understand that that power has a tangible benefit And that is that you can be at peace. Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. And that power of Christ, that peace that comes from it, it's bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your mistakes. It's more powerful than the problems that you'll face in this life. It's bigger than your enemies. It's stronger than your doubts. Because in Jesus, we can be right with God eternally. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, of course, the obvious question would be this. So, what if I place my faith in Christ and I'm here today and I'm feeling kind of stressed? What's up with that? And maybe that's how you're feeling today. Maybe you walked in here today a little stressed. Maybe you're actually more stressed now than you were when you came in today. I don't know. What's stressing you out? What are you, what are you anxious about? What is the load that you are carrying? And Jesus already overcame that. 
You're fighting a battle that's already been won. You're carrying a burden that, quite frankly, in the eternal sense of things, is of no consequence. What do you, what do, you do with that? And I don't know, but if you're like me, it's a daily thing to face down that stress and that temptation towards anxiety. What do we do about that? Scripture's just very, very simple about this. What do we do when we feel anxious? Notice what Paul says in Philippians, a great passage. He says this, do not be anxious about what? All right, so what are you anxious about? The good news is it's included there, okay? He says, don't be anxious about, and I know we're like, yeah, but he didn't mean this or this or this. Yes, he did. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, Watch this. In everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. What is that? Prayer is just the general word there about just talking, communicating with God. Petition is when we ask God for specific things. And, and thanksgiving is just that, that whole idea of, of naming the things that you're grateful for and having a grateful heart with God. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, he says, what does he say? Present your request to God. And then notice what he says. And the, and the what? And the peace, say that with me, and the peace of God that comes from the Sar Shalom. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. What does that mean? We won't necessarily understand how it's true. There'll be times when you will pray and give something to God and you will, you will feel this peace and you'll think to yourself, this is crazy. I should be worried. <laughs> I should be stressed. I don't understand. That's what he's talking about. It's supernatural. It transcends all understanding. Will guard your heart. Doesn't that sound great? He will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live with anxiety. You don't have to live with stress. You don't have to obsess on that stuff. You don't have to try to solve everything yourself. You don't have to wake up in the middle of the night and carry the burdens of your world. Just go to the Sar Shalom. Just talk with him. Just give them your stress. Just tell them. It, it's so easy. It's almost so easy that it's easy not to do it. It's so easy when you think about it. Yet how often do we not? We don't do it. And a couple weeks ago, when I was uh, working through the initial concepts of the sermon, one night I was talking with my uh, wife, and we are talking about this, and I, I was trying to think just about, you know, how this works, and... and um, I, it made me think back about 14, 15 months ago uh, when my grandmother passed away. And uh, my, it was my dad's mom, and my family on that side is very, very close. Very close. And, um, and when my grandmother passed away, my dad called me and asked if I would come down and do the funeral. And you've you got to have a little context uh, to understand. I'm the only, you know, I'm the only Christian in my, in my family, in my immediate family. Uh, and, um, and my grandmother was probably, of all the people in my family, the least, you know, I don't even know how to put it, <laughs> as far away from Christ as anyone could be in my family. So there was something ironic about my dad calling and asking me to officiate over my grandmother's funeral, and he even made the comments like, you know, she'd hate it. But uh, he said, but I want you to do it. So I got off the phone, and at first, my first thought was, 
this is so amazing. So my non-Christian family is asking me to come down at a time when people are most asking the, the, the crucial questions of life. And, uh, and they're inviting. They won't come to church. They won't. They, they're very sad. But I'm the, I'm the, what am I? I'm the professional religious person in my family. I'm, some of them call me a priest. They don't even know. I just like, they have no idea. But I'm the professional Christian, so I'm the one who comes and does, you know, these religious things. And they're inviting me to come down. People who used to tell me to shut up and stop talking about Jesus, they're inviting me to come down at a funeral and talk about him. So at first I was very excited, and then I started to think, oh man, but this is my family. And, you know, if I say what I want to say, they may never talk to me again. They might throw things at me. You know, there could be a lot of, I could be out. I wouldn't be the first person in my family to be kicked out. It's happened before. And I began to feel a lot of stress. I went down, flew down, feeling a lot of internal conflict. Like, it's a great opportunity, but I don't want to be kicked out of my family, you know, so I began to think, wow, well, I better say just the right thing, because if I, I, I need to, I need to say the things that will help them understand the gospel, but I better not say anything that gets me kicked out, because let's just be realistic, if I get kicked out of the family because I was the jerk at the funeral, then what chance will I have to share Christ with them in the future, and you know, I'm just kind of doing this whole thing, and I'm just getting more and more stressed, and just carrying all of this weight, and I get down there and, and spend some time with the family. The night before the funeral, I'm at my aunt's house. It's, it's like one in the morning and I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm looking at my Bible and I'm thinking about, what, oh, I, I should say this. That would please God. No, that won't please, that won't please them. And just this waking up the next morning tired and stressed and I decided to walk down to the, walk down to the coffee shop and I'm sitting there and I open my Bible and I turn to this passage, which I... I shouldn't have even needed to turn to it because I memorized it years ago. You know it by heart. <laughs> just don't use it. And I read this passage and it was just, it was just like a, a tweak on the nose from God. Like, what are you doing? You don't need to do this. You don't need to carry this. What, by the way, what are you going to say that's going to be so perfect anyways? What are you going to do this is going to be so amazing that everyone's going to be on their knees and coming to Christ. And what are you thinking? And it just occurred to me like I'd never actually taken the time to just stop and not just pray about it, but let go of it. And that's what I did. I just let go of it. Went to the funeral, talked about Christ, talked about life, planted some great seeds, had some great conversations, had a couple of cousins come up afterwards and say, that's, what I, that's, that's where I am now. That's what I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. Have had some great follow-up conversations with family. How many times do we take situations in which God wants to use us and bless us and bless people and, enjoy, and we don't enjoy it we're just stressed, we're just anxious because we just never stopped to let go, to just talk to God. So my question for you is this, what are you caring? What are you stressing out about? What are you anxious about? What load are you carrying? And God's been there, the Sar Shalom has been, every time you talk with him, he's just, let me take it. But you've never just, get, just given it to him. What do you need to just give to him? 
Now you may be here this morning and you know, you've never actually taken that first step and just trusted in Christ. Just said, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of religion. I just want peace with God. And I, I, I want to place my, my trust, my faith in Christ. And if, if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you could do that right now. And we're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. And you can just say to God, you know what, God? I'm placing my faith in you in what Jesus did. And in fact, if you want to do that, I would encourage you. We're going we're gonna to sing here in a minute a few songs. Just come on up. I'll be up here as we're closing. You just walk right up here. Don't worry about anyone else because you're the most important thing going on here right now if you're ready to do that. And I would love to pray with you. Or you can come up afterwards and I'll pray with you and help you get started there. For the rest of you, my question is this. What do you need to give to God this morning? Let's pray.